that a beautiful thought that all things can be made new? And yet we know that um, on this day, what we're celebrating is that Jesus rose from the dead, but I bet there's still things that you're waiting for to become new. I, I, I'm pretty sure that if you're a human being, that there are some things that you're still wondering when they will resurrect, when they will come to life. Any, anybody with me or am I the only one in the room? Excellent. Thank you. And so, listen, I'm the youngest of six kids, so I never do anything by myself. You have to talk to me while we, you know, while we're together this morning. Because here's the reality. Um, we are a part of the human family, and we're a part uh, of a human family that has had failure and success, has seen great things happen, and has been very sad about some things. Ha- ha- we have been in places where we thought, God, could you please hurry up? and fix this part of life. This is taking so long. Well, there's this beautiful person uh, named Sharian that said it this way. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. And everybody who, that's you, right? Amen, right? We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown and something new. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Because until we see Jesus face to face, there will always be that place that is not yet complete, even while God is making all things new. So Chardon said it, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. Isn't God slow? Have you ever noticed that? God, God is slow. He's like Scott. Scott's slow too. And, um, and I, I like what Winnie the Pooh said. He said, there is no hurry. We shall get there someday. Right? The prophet Winnie the Pooh. So, you know, what we realize is that we are in a society where if we can't hover and click, we're irritated. If we can't pull it up immediately on our iPhones. We just wonder if it's going to happen. We, you know, we hit the phone, we throw the phone. But what we want to say is that Resurrection Sunday is, is really not disconnected from all of the slow work that went on before that. Like thousands of years of people praying for Messiah to come. And then if you think about the way that Jesus' life is mapped out, and Scott will get us to resurrection in just a couple of minutes, But I want to take you through the slow work for just a minute, just because it's not my personality style to like being slow. I I am uh, definitely a person that likes fast forward. If I don't like a scene in a movie, I fast forward through it. If it's not catching my attention, I'll go all the way to the end and just see, okay, is it worth my time? I know that's wrong, right? I know, but it's, uh, it's how I'm wired. And so I have to practice being slow. I have to practice accept God's slowness. If you think about the bookends of what has resulted today as Resurrection Sunday, it all began with Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and then the religious people wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Did you know that? They wanted to kill them both because they didn't want to see God in a new way. They liked their old way of seeing. 
and a new way was tough. Have you ever seen that, that people have a hard time with new things? Like they say, only 1% to 2% of people in, the, in our world are change agents. The rest of us, you know, we're just like, no, 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 we haven't done it that way. Why are we doing it that way? Why do we change the chairs like this? Why do they, you know, why are we singing a new song? I like the old ones. And, and we, you know, we get used to things. Amen? And so they wanted to kill Jesus because Jesus was bringing all things new. And so they wanted to, to kill him. And when I think about that, I think I need to stop right there in the scripture and find myself in the story and say, God, do I have a hard time seeing you in a new way? Is that me? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide us in these questions, and your response each time will be, oh, God, help me not to hurry. Can you say that together? Oh, God, help me not to hurry. So ask the question. Where do I refuse to change the way I view God? Oh, God, help me not to hurry. So after Lazarus raises from the dead, you've got Palm Sunday, and they're shouting Hosanna. But in a few days, they're going to shout, crucify him. Right? And Jesus knows this, by the way. Jesus is thinking, yep, they're, they're taking the shirt off their back now, but in a few days, they're going to strip me, brutalize me, and nail me to a cross. And hosannas are going to become away with him, crucify him. And so I want to stop on that Palm Sunday and I want to ask a question. When have I gone from hosanna to away with God or someone God loves? Ask yourself that question. When have I gone from hosanna to away with God or away with someone God loves? So we want to pause with that part of the week and say, Oh God, help me not to hurry. Then we move on and we find out that Jesus gets mad at a fig tree and causes it to wither up. Do you guys remember that? Curses a fig tree from the roots up. Why? Because there was a leaf and no fruit. Can you all say leaf? Leaf. No No fruit. Okay. And so it's like, well, you got leaves, but no fruit. And the fig tree was actually, um, it was a metaphor for the people of God at that time. So God, Jesus was saying, yeah, you're green. You, you look like you're all right on the outside. You, you dressed up for Easter service today, Claire. But where's your fruit? So that, that part of the resurrection story asks the question, where's the fruit in my life? Ask Ask yourself, this is a good examination question. Where's the fruit in my life that I am alive to God? Don't rush past this day of the fig fig tree withering on the way to resurrection. Together, oh God, help me not to hurry. Then, you know, it moves along and Jesus ends up at his friends, uh, Martha and Mary's house. And Mary breaks this jar of pure nard and worships at the feet of Jesus, just worships at the feet of Jesus. And Judah says, why are you wasting money that could be given to the poor? What are you doing? And I think God doesn't want me to rush past this day because are there times I accuse people? I mean, this week when Notre Dame burned and we heard people saying, oh, where are all those billionaires that are giving money to that and they don't give it to this. And I want to just not get caught up in that questioning. I want to say, God, it's their money and you're God. You talk to each other. I don't want to accuse anybody of how they're worshiping. 
what they're doing with their money. I, I want to say, oh God, I'm going to stay here. I want to stay right here and ask myself the question, when do we accuse and miss the prophetic moment taking place right in front of us? Because if you read about that day, she was anointing his body for burial. That's what Jesus said. It's gonna be, she's going to be talked about forever because she anointed my body for burial. So I, I don't want to accuse people and miss what's happening. And can we pray it together? Oh, God, help me not to hurry. Do you see? I mean, Scott and I were saying to each other, only in creation were all the days of a week mapped out like this. Creation, this is like recreation. This is creation part two. And we are seeing that God doesn't want us to hurry. Remember, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Jaquiel, you should write a rap about that. He sold him out. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And we know that scripture. What would it profit us to gain, fill in the blank, right, and lose your own soul? Whatever the world is for you, what would it profit you to gain anything and lose your soul? And so I want to pause here and I want to say, when have I been a sellout? When have I been a sellout? And I want to pause here and I want to say, oh God, help me not to hurry. So all the way to the resurrection on Thursday, we know that all these friends were sitting around the table, friends that were saying, I'll never deny you, sleeping friends in the garden, right? Friends that ended up hiding like Judas and he commits suicide because of his shame because he sold Jesus out. He took his own life. And I think to myself, oh God, when has shame had the last word for me? I mean, that's what happened to Judas. Shame was the last word that should have never been the last word for Judas. Peter denied Jesus too, but Peter came back. Right? Don't ever let shame have the last word. Don't ever let it have the last word. If you have a breath in your body, God will remove shame from you. So let's pray it here. Oh, God. Help me not to hurry. And then on Friday, trials with evil verdicts, 39 lashes, weeping women. Only Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John are at the foot of the cross, the only friends that were right up close. And there they were, and these words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And then it is finished. I don't want to hurry through this, friends. When have I let forgiveness have the last word? When have I let forgiveness have the last word? Not I forgive you, but, or I forgive you, but you did. But when have I let forgiveness have the last word? Don't hurry. Let's say it. Oh, God, help me not to hurry. And then uh, on that Saturday, silent in the tomb, Some scriptures give us the idea that Jesus descended into hell and actually dealt with the the devil, with demons, with sin and death. He went, went right there for us on that silent Saturday. Before he was about to raise, he dealt with the devil. What demons do I need to deal with for resurrection's sake? I want to pause, and I did, and I have this week. What demons in my life... Like, what are the things that haunt you, that push you, that prod you, that drive you, that make you feel unloved? 
What demons do I need to deal with? Demons of unforgiveness, demons of judgment. Oh, God, help me not to hurry through that because I want to be free. I want to live resurrected. I don't want to live in a place that is left in the tomb or left at the cross or left at the supper or left at the fig tree. I want to live in a way that takes all of this in and say, oh, God, help me not to hurry. See, Passion Week has so much to teach us about the love of God, the need to walk slowly, to trust in the slow work of God. This week has so much to teach us about death and divorce and unforgiveness and trials and troubles and hate and grief and violence. It has everything to teach us about living. It has everything to teach us. If you only had this one week of Jesus' life, we could find our way to God and live in resurrection. Oh God, could you pray it with me? Help me not to hurry. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betrayed. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running light. Sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scars. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, 
hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands God. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Yeah. It's Sunday. Yeah. It is Sunday. Tell somebody sitting by you it's Sunday in case they didn't get that. It is Sunday. Yeah, thank God for Sunday. You know, people have always um, had a sense throughout history that death is not the end, um, that afterlife is much longer than the life that we spend here. No matter what their belief system is, there's this gentle sense that we all have kind of lived with. Uh, the reality is some of history's most impressive building projects have been around this thought, constructed with the intent of ushering wealthy, powerful people into the next life. For instance, the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid uh, was built eight, or 480 feet tall, built as a tomb for a pharaoh. Over a half mile in circumference, and for over 3,800 years was the tallest man-made structure in the world. Estimated to take 20,000 people 20 years to build as a tomb to usher someone to the next life. The terracotta warriors found by some farmers in the early 1970s in China. It was designed as a Chinese emperor's tomb. It, is, it encompasses 300 vaults, and at this point, there's, about, there's a little over three of those vaults that have been excavated on earth so far. One of the excavated vaults so far is larger than a football field. It is the one with 8,000 terracotta warriors, which were designed and put in place to protect the emperor in the, in the emperor's next life. The vault that contains the emperor is filled with pearls and mercury to depict the glory of the heavens and the beauty of the afterlife. Food for the next life was stored in one of the vaults, and they have found that only one thing has remained in all of that food. It's all decomposed except for a Happy Meal that was found recently. <laughs> They estimate 700,000 workers on the project. And the last group of workers working on the vaults for this emperor when the emperor died were buried alive so that there could be as much secrecy as possible in where the burial happened. In India, there's the Taj Mahal, a tomb for an emperor's wife. She died shortly after delivering their 14th child. But amazing as these structures are, as crazy as it is, 
clearly and most importantly, by far, the most famous tomb of all, is one that we really don't even know exactly where it is. The most famous tomb of all is not known for what's inside of the tomb. It's known for the fact that the tomb has nothing in it. Yes. This is called the garden tomb, which is one of the places that is assumed might have been where Jesus was born or was buried. But nobody knows for sure, just somewhere in that area. See, when Jesus was getting ready to die, nobody was getting ready with architects and engineers and planning out the burial and trying to have this place. Jesus wasn't setting that up. First of all, he didn't have the resources to do that. There was no burial pre-plan, no architects, no engineers, no designers, no builders for years on end. It was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, someone that loved Jesus, that had the means, that actually gave Jesus a tomb, the scripture tells us, after Jesus died. The reason there's a stone placed in front of the opening is for no other reason but to keep animals out so that Jesus' dead body would not be consumed by animals. The Romans are concerned about guarding the place, so they set a guard at the opening of the tomb to secure the body from being stolen. And in Mark 16, the scripture tells us, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they had asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? See, at this point, Jesus is dead. At this point, all they know is Jesus died on a cross. It brings up the question, why did they even come to the tomb? There wasn't an expectation for a resurrection because when they find the body missing, There's shock and there's terror, there's fear and this underlying excitement at the same time. But the reality at this point is Jesus is dead, they think. Game over. Why did they come? They come to the tomb because the same reason we go to certain things. It's because love dies harder than hope. And their hope has been destroyed, but they love Jesus. They weep. See, they had hoped for something different, but now they realize it's all over. And then it happens. It's the central line in all of Scripture. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. This is the hinge pin of history. If it can be, if it can be put in a sentence, this is it. He is not here. Let's say it. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, the angel tells him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you, trembling and bewildered. 
the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. There's fear, there's trembling, there's bewilderment, there's this underlying excitement, there's questioning, all kinds of emotions going on. But it's happening. He is not here. See, death could not hold Jesus. The grave could not stop Jesus. And hell could never defeat Jesus. Jesus is not there. So today, wherever you are coming from, whatever your problems when you walked into this room, however your life is challenged, know that in this moment, this moment, that he, when it says he is not here, Jesus is no longer in the tomb, it changes everything for all of us. Every challenge of our life, every difficulty, every place of strain and struggle, the fact that Jesus is not there on a day similar to this day, somewhere in Israel, changes everything. Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty. And now our lives can be filled with power and perseverance and and new life because Jesus is alive. See, everything in the outside world, when these women went to the tomb, nothing has changed. They heard from this individual that Jesus is not there, but nothing has changed on the outside world, right? Caesar is still on the throne. Pilate is still washing his hands in different matters. Crowds are still angry and in disbelief of what's just happened. The disciples are still hiding somewhere. The religious are still stuck in their stuckness. The soldiers are still mocking what they have just experienced and done. But there is something everybody doesn't understand yet. He is not there. See, the angel didn't say, he will live on in our hearts. He didn't say Jesus will be present in our memories. He didn't say try to keep spreading the message that Jesus brought of love and and forgiveness, although those are good things. But that's not what the angel said. Oh, no, not at all. The angel proclaims Jesus is not here. This one thing changes all things. See, no longer do you and I need to be afraid of anything. Soldiers, graves, death, trouble, money problems, bad jobs, no jobs, bad people, bad dates, no dates, bad hair, no hair. It doesn't matter. He is not in the tomb, right? It changes it all. Which means, as the angel tells these women, you need to go from here. You don't just sit there, you go, go, go. You're on a mission. Go quickly, the angel says. Go tell the disciples that there's a mission to be lived into. It's interesting. Do you realize the church starts as a women's meeting? Like there's no men in the church yet. They get sent to the men. They're on a mission. They have a message. And eventually there will be billions of followers. There'll be a Bible. There'll be cathedrals and ministries and denominations, TV programs proclaiming the gospel around the world, the internet. There'll be podcasts. There will be communication. There will be people having conversations with the people they love closest. But for this point, go. There's just a few of you, but go. The world is now different because he is not here 
See, the stone is rolled away not to get Jesus out. You do realize that, right? Later on, we find out that Jesus can walk through walls. Jesus didn't need the stone moved to get out of the grave. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do and does it, right? The, the stone is rolled away so we can go in. So we can look around. So we can make a decision. The invitation for all of us is to come and see. Come and see if Jesus is really alive. Come and see if the, the tomb is empty. Question for yourself. Study it out. Look around. Think it through. But by all means, make a decision. Because Jesus is not there. And we're invited to go and to proclaim that message. So where do we go from here? It's interesting because the gospel's account, and in this gospel in Mark here, it accounts that Jesus had already told them to meet him in Galilee. They had forgotten that that was something that he had already invited them to do. And now the angel says, remember, he told you to meet him in Galilee. So Galilee is about 100 miles from where this occurs, somewhere in there. Go to Galilee and he will meet you there. And sure enough, Jesus will show up in Galilee and greet them there. The scripture simply says when Jesus greets them in Galilee, just says greetings. Just kind of like, hello. Because Jesus knew this was what the plan was. Let's just keep moving on, Jesus says. The communication here is if you want to meet with Jesus, if you want to be with Jesus... You need to go where Jesus says to go. You need to do what Jesus says to do. And you need to become what Jesus says to become. And you need to say what Jesus wants you to say. Where do you go from here? Where is your Galilee? In Matthew, the account, because imagine being those disciples, you're starting to get word that Jesus might be alive, but you've you've betrayed him or you've abandoned him. Talk about shame. He's got to at least be angry, right? And in Matthew, there's one of the beautiful pieces that gets missed by us a lot of times in in the account of the resurrection is Jesus in Matthew's account says to the women, he says, go and tell my brothers that I am alive. It's the first time Jesus will call the disciples his brothers. In other words, make sure you tell them, I'm not mad. Make sure that they know no shame. Make sure that they understand that he's not mad. And I would think that Jesus would say the same thing to all of us today, no matter where we have come from. Jesus is not mad at you, brother. Sister, the truth is, everything is the same for all of us since we walked in, right? Maybe some of us still have unreasonable bosses. Some of us have business challenges. Some of us have marriage struggles. Some would say their bank account is empty or in the negative. Some go home to a kitchen table where there's a table that has an empty chair. Some in this room have children that are still astray or a dream that hasn't come to pass. But because Jesus is not in the tomb, no matter 
what we walked into this room with, we have a new hope. We have a new responsibility, a new life, and a new mission. Just as those women came to the tomb filled with tears and sadness, suddenly things change because he is not there. The power of the resurrection is taking effect. Because Jesus is no longer in the tomb, there is forgiveness offered. There's hope poured out and infilling and power given to all of us if we simply ask, if we simply invite Jesus into our life in that way. That could be our Galilee on this day to simply invite the presence of God into our life today. One of the things I'll do occasionally to remind myself of the presence of God and the nearness of the presence of God, which I believe is more real than my own heartbeat. And I did this last night before I went to bed. I'll just take my fingers and take my pulse and my artery and just feel that. And know that more real then my very heartbeat is the presence of God and the opportunity for God to fill my life. And I just let it minister to me, literally my own heartbeat that God provides for my life. God is willing, not mad. Jesus is alive and so wants to fill your life with hope. Because Jesus is not there, Jesus can be right here. The same power that conquered the grave, the same resurrection that overcame hell and every power of hell is here to empower me and to empower you to serve the forgotten, to give out of generous hearts, and to declare that Jesus is not in a tomb, but Jesus is here. So what is your Galilee? What is your place of meeting Jesus? We just bow our heads. And as we pray, I want to invite you to think about what Galilee might look. What is that for you? What is that place that Jesus is inviting you to? For some of you today, it may literally be, Galilee may represent that place of invitation for the first time saying, Jesus, I'm I'm going to agree with what I see in scripture here, that the tomb is empty and that you're inviting me into a new life and to accept Jesus into your heart. Jesus is not mad at you. Jesus is waiting to fill your life with his presence. And for the rest of us, it could be all sorts of things, right? Galilee might be something we're being invited to do, something we're being invited to give, a relationship that we're being asked to mend, forgiveness to offer, and maybe even the forgiveness is for ourselves. So Lord, all around this room, I pray for my friends. I pray first of all for those that are ready to give their life to you, to make a decision on this day for you. 
I pray that they would experience the same power that raised you from the dead. That's what's offered here. That's what's offered to all of us is resurrection life power. So I pray that you would raise any of us in this room that are dead in our trespasses. Forgive us of our sins as we bring those to you and free us to new life. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, we, we, we know what Galilee might represent for us. And we pray you encourage us and strengthen us. We take courage in the fact that you are not in a tomb, but you are alive and well and living in us and through us. So, Father, strengthen us. Give us a resolve that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is resident in us on this day, right here, right now. We want to give you just a a minute to respond. If you want to follow Jesus, will you stand? That's not a coercion. It's really a question. If you want to follow Jesus, will you stand? You are here. You are here. presence on the inside of us that is the overcoming conquering presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and that God that you are taking us from this place to our really ordinary lives and God may we remember that the tomb is empty and that our heart is now your habitation every day of this week every moment of this week And God, I bless my friends. I bless them in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. 
I bless them in that name that reconciles human beings to yourself. And I bless them and pray that on their Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, that they would not hurry, but they would remember that the same power that conquered the grave lives in them. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Every day of your life.